Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Choose Inclusion podcast uh, for our Black Voices Matter series. Uh, today we have Yubi. Yubi, how are you doing? Hello, everybody. Good. Good. We are good to be happy to be back. Awesome. Yeah. So we have a we have a special guest today. I'm really excited about um, Helen Aboa. Uh, she's the Chief Executive Officer at Urban Zen. It's a philosophy by Donna Karen. She'll probably have to explain that to me in a little bit, um, just because I am completely unfamiliar with the fashion industry. But uh, Helen brings a, a wide array of experiences, worked in multiple industries, and uh, we're really excited to have Helen here today. Helen, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for letting, allowing me to be on. So I guess the first question we always ask is just to, to have a real check-in. How are, how are you doing? Um, you know, I some days are better than others. I think, you know, when you're, as a leader, when you're supporting your teams and you know that you have to be on and help people navigate what's happening and what they're seeing and help them, you know, understand and even ask questions. I've allowed myself to be someone that, that they can ask questions to, you know, again, after educating themselves and they having further questions. But, you know, it gets really hard when, you know, it's the, you're off, hours you're home and you're looking at you're watching the news and you look at your you know beautiful black husband and beautiful three black daughters um and just and you realize that that this is where we're at in 2020 and this is you know that they don't even know that the world outside is fighting for the, their rights and that i'm fighting so that they would have equal rights and equal opportunity you know, uh, when we were, before we went live, we were talking a lot about intersectionality and that's come up quite a bit. And I think your perspective is is quite unique and, and you know, the fact that you're daughters, you know, that this, so yes, you're black, but you're also female. Can you talk about the parallels? You mentioned parallels, right? Of, of different movements throughout, throughout the decades and how you know, one thing seems to follow another. I think that's kind of fascinating. I hadn't thought about it in that way. Yeah, so, you know, when we, as a, again, as a, as a black female leader, you're at this intersection of um, if, if these isms of racism and sexism, and you look at history, um, and you can't t help but look back at history because it's, it's a recorder of facts, right? And if you look at the Civil War, um, it was like, well, rights, women's rights movement began in 1848, Civil War and civil um, the rights movement just followed shortly after in um, 1861. The first women's suffrage law was passed in 1869, and then it's not that far after the civil rights, um, uh, the Civil War. Sorry, and then you fast forward into the 1950s, and you have Rosa Parks refused to sit in the back of the bus. Then just a few years later, Kennedy's passing an Equal Pay Act prohibiting sex-based discrimination, and then. A year later, President Lyndon uh, Johnson assigned the Civil Rights Act banning discrimination based on race. So, and we can go on. So, you know, it's as a black woman, you constantly have this intersection of what's happening um, as far as in the world, as far as me being a woman, and then what's happening in this world as far as me being black. So I know how important it is to, to be in that very, um, it's, just a, it, it's a difficult place. Right, and it's a duality that it's not one is greater than the other, but that the injustices exist, and 
we need to address them. And, you know, at some point in history, in history's, and then here we are now in, two, in the 2000, you know, in the 2000s, and you had the Me Too movement. And then shortly after that comes Black Lives Matter. So it's hard to not look back at history and look why are these two things always somehow feel like they're living in parallel with one another, right? And then as a Black woman, every day of your life, you're in, you're, that's, that's what you're living. We're seeing it in history play out through movements, but it's a movement that's daily in our lives um, that we face. Yeah, it's seeing in the um, in the fashion industry in particular, because you've been you've been working in that industry for quite some time now. Like what what has been uh, the response and what are your kind of feelings and thoughts about it? It's really interesting, I think. And then I've, I've been in media, so I've been in television, film, uh, fashion and, you know, in the health space of philanthropy and I've always said it's, it's specifically in fashion because I spent the majority of my career there is I've look there has there always been a lot of diversity no usually when you did see it, it if it did exist was in the model like you saw in the models or sometimes in the advertising campaigns or um, but from the business perspective there weren't a lot of people that looked like me um, would I say there are a lot of women sure but there weren't a lot of black women and I always felt like there was this uh, interesting it was interesting because it's there's this invisible line, right? That if there were black women, you sort of didn't pass from manager to director and above. And once you did, um, for specifically in my career, it was and watching black um, women and men super excited for me because they just knew how difficult it was and to get there. And again, I think that the industry has a long way, you know, a lot. There's a lot to be done here. Um, I've worked for individuals, fortunately, who have been great allies. I can say um, without a doubt that if I didn't have those allies who were completely aware, whether spoken or unspoken, the challenges I was facing or would face, um, didn't identify, if they hadn't identified my skills and my talent and my experience and gave me the platform and, or, you know, became mentors and allowed for, um, career progression, I don't think, I just think that my career will look a lot different right now because it, it took people actively being involved in order for me to progress in my career. It wasn't, I would never look at my career back and say it was an easy ride. So what does, what does allyship look like? Cause I feel like we throw around that term a lot, right? Where it's like, mm -hmm. oh, this person's an ally. And I think that's probably one of the big questions we keep on hearing from a lot of companies who are, you know, kind of coming to us and they're like, oh, well, what do we do? What do we do? And you just, sounds like you kind of gave us a taste of yeah. what allyship means. Like what exactly I mean, Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, for, I, I believe my leaders, didn't just, our company didn't just have a zero tolerance policy. They acted on that zero tolerance policy. And I think that a lot of organizations have it. I don't necessarily know how much they act upon it. And to be honest, if I can't, when I knew, and not that I had to report or say anything, but there were microaggressions that even I wasn't aware of sometimes, right? And things that I didn't see or conversation maybe that had out behind my back or in another room, but there was a zero tolerance, there was zero tolerance um, of it. And I knew that my leaders and the people in my organization who were allies weren't gonna accept it because I will not, for, I know for a fact it existed, but they weren't going to um, allow for it. And they didn't, and there was a, and I, I knew that, and I knew that it was a safe place for me. 
Um, you know, I think that coworkers as allies have to, you know, do a better job at just acknowledging what those microaggressions are. And if they don't know what they are, I'd love to give examples of, you know, um, employees, if you see someone talking yet, then if there's a black employee who does it for some, for some reason, they're referred as too loud or aggressive, or maybe their appearance doesn't fit within the acceptable standards of what their America, they think their America should look like, or white America should look like. So there's that, it takes, it's active, I have to say this. Um, allyship is no more this thing where companies say, oh, but we're, we always believe in equality and we're an organization that believes in equal opportunity. Now, it needs, I'm so glad to see companies saying something. I know people have been hard on companies coming out, but it has to be, um, it, it needs to be a public stance now. And I think that that, if anything, in addition to other steps, encourages and um, makes black employees feel safer, but it also holds companies to be accountable. Because once you make a public statement, it's a lot harder to you know, hide behind anything. Um, if you see a black colleague being passed up for promotions that you know are, and it's unfair, just speak up. Um, I've been an ally, so I know it's like to even be an ally to my own or to somebody who's another, of another um, race or gender associates themselves um, differently. So there's companies that take ac action, active actions to invest in their black employees, meaning yes, there's pipeline, but also like what is your career progression? What does mentorship look like? Um, mentorship is not a quarterly coffee meeting, right? Mentorship is, you know, bi-weekly touch bases, um, have negotiating meetings, have, have them sit in decision-making meetings or strategy sessions but give them that exposure that they necessarily wouldn't have, but also create an environment. And I'd say this about one mentor I think of specifically who's um, been a mentor of mine even after I left the organization is that she created an open working environment so that everyone had a voice. Now I gotta be clear, not everyone has a vote. That's very different. And I know, I know companies get nervous because they go, well, everyone has a voice and everyone has a vote. That's very different. But when someone has a voice, those who have a vote can consider what that person is saying. So she was, and then in that, you're able to see, hear what other people have to say, whether it's something about a strategy or a marketing campaign or advertising campaign, whatever it is, but you're giving them that platform. Um, um, because I think unless you do that, it's gonna be really hard for them to, to find that, um, that space. And then also companies just need to really, I mean, the numbers don't lie. So look into what those numbers say about your organization. Um, yeah, I think that's when I think about allyship, but again, that, that investment of mentorship and career progression is, is, is imperative because without that, then I, I'm not so sure um, what opportunities you're offering them further than, than the one they got just coming into the organization. Well, I, yeah, I, I, I love that. I think, uh, there has to be intentionality, particularly for those underrepresented groups, like like people in the black community. In there needs to be intention, right? Like I think too many people, too many companies, too many leaders get away try to get away with, well, they didn't get the promotion because they didn't have the right skills, right? Or what you know. But but at right. the end of the day, I think the, the systemic issues are so deep that there truly are obstacles. And I think that's one of the things we keep pushing is that this isn't an individual person by person basis. These are 
These are issues that have been existing for hundreds of years. They flow through absolutely everything. And no matter how hard someone in the black community tries, they're, they, they're always gonna hit those obstacles. It, it, yes, I, and I think, yes, absolutely. I, it, sorry, touched me when you said that. It does, and the only way that I can, when I think about technology and LinkedIn, let's use LinkedIn for as, a, as an equalizer, right, of, of opportunity in some sense, because you have access to this, this pool, is that if companies are really serious about this, then for example, if I have an open role, I said, you can't start the interview process unless you're showing me a diverse pool. And then by the way, once I see the diverse pool, I'll press the go button. And then when you get the go button, that, that, that pool that's interviewing this, these candidates are diverse themselves, right? Because you're trying to eliminate as much bias because when you bring up systemic issues, it's systemic, when you talk about systemic problems, it's access. And if someone, and it's access at several different points. And if you eliminate the, the probability of their access just like immediately dying, right? Or be ending shortly after the first, then those are the things that you have to, those are, those are the steps companies have to, to take. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. I think that um, one of the things that we like to talk about is kind of like, you know, that's, there's this element of a lot of companies focus on the recruitment part but then, you know, they don't necessarily think about how they're retaining people, right? Um, you can invite people to the table, but if they don't have a voice at the table, then, you know, they're not going to want to stay there. <laughs> so um, what are your thoughts on what companies can be doing to make sure that they're creating a space where people who don't look like everyone else at the company and doesn't, you know, can, can feel safe and heard? I think, Nina, you... you brought up a very funny, I love to say this about the whole, like, oh, well, you have a seat at the table. I'm like, no, but you need a voice at the table because I've been in meetings where a bag has a seat at the table. I've seen a, literally, I could put a bag, like that does not give me a voice. And the way, what companies can do is, if you don't hear that person speaking up, ask for their opinion. It's so easy to be passive because you don't, you also don't know what the inward politics of an organization are, right? I think it's easy for a leader to forget that, at the end of the day, I'm leading a company. This is my team, my leadership team. And if someone's quiet, then I need to, and I really need their opinion, I'm going to ask for it. And I'm going to continue to ask for it until they're comfortable bringing it up, but also create an environment where they're not always the only person. So it's this idea that I'm going to have a room full, I'm going to have whatever, this homogenous group, and then have this one black woman sitting there and then expect her to speak and feel comfortable like she's not the only black woman in the room. That in itself is debilitating. So making, ensuring that, wow, it's, I may not want another, I may, don't have to have another black woman at the table or a black man, but I need to feel like there's a diverse work environment. So I think that's what companies can do. Uh, I think that if I start seeing numbers that, because I recently spoke to someone who said, oh, well, we offered a job, this, it's a high senior executive level role to a black person. And they said they didn't want it because there was like, they didn't want to be the only black person in the organization. And I said, okay, well, I can understand. I mean, I understand someone has to also be the first, but to that person, you have to understand what it looks like. Like, am I going to be just, again, am I going to, it's, you're taking me from maybe what's already a successful happy work environment where my input's accepted. And now this job may seem wonderful, but if I'm only here, cause what it looks like, I'm only here for you to fill a quota, then that's not gonna work. 
And I also, um, and it doesn't say a lot about how much you're working at trying to diversify your company, right? Because a lot of companies don't speak to that when they're interviewing people who don't look like the rest of their organization. Um, I like to be comforted with, I'll give you an example of my daughter. We're looking at schools and I asked about the diversity and their numbers and they said, and they spent a long time explaining to me the initiatives they were taking to increase diversity at her school. I thought that was incredible. I said, okay, well, clearly they had a few numbers, but I thought if they're doing that much work, it shows me that this is something that's really important to them versus, hey, here you are. And um, somehow, whatever reason that man must have felt that he was gonna just you know, be the one black voice. And by the way, one black person can't speak for all black people. Right. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's why I, I'm always like, no one wants to hear me talk. I don't yeah. <laughs> like, I'm just here to listen because like, it's, that's, that's a great point. Well, have you, it's, it's fascinating because, and, and you've, you've been a part of um, a, a few different industries, particularly like entertainment, media, um, mm-hmm. fashion. Have you, is it like, if you compare it to just, you know, the industries, right? All the other industries, general work environments, is it different? And, and, you know, because I think we've all seen media in general not, and just perpetuate the wrong ideas and, mm-hmm. and, you know, the right ideas and whatever, but it, has it been a different experience or do you see the same systemic things no matter what? I, I see the same systemic issues because the it's always the same in the sense that managers level and um, junior are a little bit more diverse. Once you go into the senior roles, it's not. And because it's not, I know people are always saying, yes, well, everyone has a say and we listen to everybody. I will say this confidently. If your leadership is not supportive of it or is not doing it, nobody's gonna emulate it. So you can say diversity, 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 but if you're a room full of people that look just like you, it's not going to change anything. It's not going to change the industry, and it's definitely not going to change um, what we see on television, right? So, by putting, I'm going to say this: by diversifying your pool of people of non-decision makers, is not going to change what we see on television or film or these images that are being perpetuated, right? Because the people who are still deciding that are the same very people who look the same. So they don't have a woman saying that it looks this way, or that could be, that's racially insensitive, or that product is inappropriate, or this this is doing that. They don't have that, right? It's the same, and I'm just, just to simplify, it's the same five white guys making the same decision. And nobody, nobody really challenging that. Exactly. Yeah, I, and I, exactly. Like that's, it's, in some of the work that Nina and I do, that that's one of the, things we we've heard over and over again and talk about you know it's it's if you're building a product for a diverse group of customers mm-hmm. how can your product development or software development team only look like one person yeah <laughs> and yes. how are you expecting to build something for everybody yeah and how are you looking to communicate it to a different group when it's the right? same people who gave you the idea to communicate it to another group so i can as much as i like to think i know what men like right but just because i'm married to a man doesn't make me know what he's a man he can tell you what men like he's the better person to do that 
right? So I think that you, this valuing of diverse minds is important um, in diverse backgrounds. And you, and I think that we have to identify that just because it's a different product message the same way doesn't change it. It's, we need to get, we need to get to the heart of what the message is and who's messaging it and why. Um, and, you know, I think it's really, when you see it in entertainment, um, you see it in, you see it in music, you see it in television and you see it again, fashion and every under every other industry. Cause it's, I love if someone told me recently, they go, well, healthcare is diverse. There's a lot of women. And I go, okay, go to the executive level. Go to the leadership, like where are you looking, right? Um, and I think when people say fashion is diverse, I mean, when you look at a magazine cover, if that's what's telling you my industry is diverse, then that's problematic. Then that's the, well, then there's somebody who's bamboozled you, right? And they've done a good job in doing that. But at the same time, it's um, th th that doesn't avoid any of the mistakes that, th that history has shown that people make by not having a diverse pool. Helen, I was hoping we can um, dive into something um, around, you know, we talked about the larger systemic issues, but I think one of the things that a lot of people aren't aware about is this kind of concept of microaggressions. And I know that you've experienced, you know, so much over the last 20 years. I mean, I'd be surprised if you haven't. <laughs> and, and um, you know, I think one of the things that would be really interesting to hear is kind of what your perspective on how microaggressions have impacted you personally, how you overcame them, did you overcome them? And, um, you know, kind of like your experiences with that. And what are microaggressions, I guess? Maybe like your take on what that means. <laughs> I think that they're just, they're racially driven comments, right? Stereotypes, um, action state behaviors that are, they're a good example, I think is, I think people don't realize all the time, but it's the, um, you know, it's the, if I have an opinion, somehow when I say it, I'm aggressive, right? Or I'm too aggressive, should I say? Or if I speak up in a room, and again, being at this intersection of being a woman and black, sometimes you don't know where that, where that lives, right? Someone think I'm aggressive because I'm a woman speaking up, or is it because I'm a black woman speaking, or because I'm black and they perceive my blackness as aggressive. So it's whether you're too loud, it's the, um, you know, why is her hair that way, right? Um, like, why, why does she, why are her, I, I hate to, like, why does she wear a hairstyle like that? Why is her hair not straight? I mean, a lot of it's appearance-based too. Um, and then for me, I've had situations in my career where people have said, and, and again, I'm so grateful for allies. Um, and I, fi I find it so strange calling them allies because I call them, they're really my friends and support system and my internal board members. But, um, you know, when, some, when I was up for promotion and somebody said, well, that's going to be really hard for you because, you know, the organization, you're, you're black, right? And, and I don't, don't believe the person said it in a way to discourage me. I think she really believed that just it's not going to happen um, because this look what it looks like at the top here. Not that she thought she was, she wasn't definitely not somebody I was competing with or was threatened by me. Um, and it was pretty much like, don't, even, I would even try to fight it. And, you know, I had a, a, a friend who said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. And I had a manager who said, well, I'm going to take it to the top if I have to take it to the top, because if, if you're not running this business, then they might as well shut the department down. 
And I thought that was a really powerful statement. Look, nobody, I have to tell you, I am obviously it's, it's, I believe in being educated, driven, hard worker, all of that. And then even with all that, it's still not enough as a black woman. Um, the fact that we still need to have allies to open doors for us or to nudge us forward um, is very, it's, it's indicative of the systemic issues that we're facing, right? So there, there are those, I, sometimes, um, sometimes I've had to leave an organization because of it. Do I say that I got over it? I don't know if I ever, it's not that I got over it, it's that I had, I had to move on from it. Right. Um, you don't ever go, oh, I understand that they were racist and I accept that. No, I just go, you know, for, um, you know, for the sake of not cursing here. And I know I'm, I think we can't, but I won't. <laughs> for the people who I know that I have listening is that that's no, I, I'm still upset about it sometimes. Right. You look back and you go, wow, that someone can think that way. And they knew my character and they knew how hard I worked and that they believed that there was this organization wasn't going to let me move forward. Maybe it didn't because of that. I've been in a room with, you know, you know, my background, I work, I'm in, in, in the political landscape and in the, in the, a lot of high profile iconic people in the, in my orbit. And I remember one person individually, I don't, I want to say five years ago said um, they spoke at a, a big university, uh, a business school. And they came back and we were discussing and they said something like, um, somebody said, it's so amazing how diverse it is. It was a white colleague. She was really happy to see all diversity. And the other person said, mm, yeah, but too diverse. And I remember the person looking at me, I mean, actually three people looking at me going, oh God, what's Helen gonna say? And how's Helen gonna feel, right? And I remember being so hurt and taken aback by it. I didn't have a response. I think I left, I don't know if I left the room or if I, what I did, but you hear that and you go, wow, that people, that there's even in this excited nature of, oh my God, people are really excited about diversity and inclusion. It's also, there's like a limit. You realize, oh wow, people are okay with it only to a limit. Then you realize, wow, what's the next barrier, right? So it's okay if I'm the black one or if there's three, but there's a limit to how much that of us that they can see and feel comfortable around. Um, again, I never got over that. I still, I, I heard it. Um, you know, I think that that person's ignorant. And, but I also go, you know, it's not indicative of my character or who I am as a person. It's their ignorance. So, but I know that it exists and I know that it's real. Um, and I know that it, it looks different with different people. And it doesn't, it's not always so obvious, right? Because this person, I would have never thought that. But I think this situation brought that out of them and I was able to see that. So, um, yeah, I think. I wow. Think that, yeah. Yeah, that's, well, I, <laughs> I think there's, there's a layer of, oh God, what am I trying to say? I've got it in my head. Of what, but there's this layer of like, we expect, you know, uh, people from the black community or other represented groups of people, we as white people expect them to just sort of understand what we're saying, right? Or understand that that feeling, um, yeah. that that expression that, you know, that that ignorance. Yeah. But, you know, there's an expectation there. And then there's also an expectation of, well, why can't you teach me how not to be that way towards yeah. you? <laughs> yeah, right. Like that's, a, that's not your responsibility. No, it's like, 
we it's surreal to think that I right so if anyone ever asked me if I ever get a question that sounds like I need to educate somebody I'm like look there are references and I could send you um I try to be polite about it but I won't teach them right just remind them to like right. hey I'll redirect you to where you can go because it's one thing to read, educate yourself. Cause I do the, the steps. I think that when I look at allyship and what it, how it looks perfectly to me is a, let's just pretend and this evolution of what that looks like is let's just pretend for the sake of this, um, you're a racist. You go from a race, you, you have racist behaviors, right? Or racist. You go from that to acknowledging, okay, I don't know what it's like to be Helen. I can never imagine what it's like to be a black man or a black woman in this country. Let me educate myself the history of black people. Let me understand what experiences they're going through. Let me understand what they're talking about. Is there, what is being said here amongst all this noise, right? And then identifying when you read and educate yourself, identifying what behaviors that you're reading about that do, do you yourself um, exhibit on a daily basis? What are you actually, are you doing those things? Are you, do you find yourself making comments um, and think, check yourself next time a black person passes by you. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? Why do you feel that way? And as you go through that and then realize, okay, wow, I am exhibiting these, you know, these behaviors and I'm acting racist. And even if I don't think I'm racist, I'm acting it. And then I have to change my behavior. And that takes a lot of you being conscious and doing that on a day-to-day -day basis until the point where you're just not, you're anti-racist. You just are not, you know, holding onto your purse every time you see a black person or, that's just beyond. But if you're, you know, you see a black colleague speaking in a meeting and somebody cutting them down or cutting them off. But every time, by the way, I can use myself as an example. At one point when I was um, uh, at a different organization, somebody said to me, I was, every time I had an opinion, the, the leader would um, talk over me or ask to move on. And I remember a white colleague was like, after the meeting, she's like, Helen, um, do you notice that she does this? And I said, I do. And I've noticed it, but I thought maybe I'm just being uber sensitive. She goes, no, I think she's, whether she's conscious or unconscious, what I, by the way, I don't believe in unconscious bias at this point. I think that this day and age, everyone's on notice. So you should be conscious um, is I said, okay, well, she's being, you know, that way. And then she corrected her. She actually said something and I said something actually to the, the person. So, you know, identifying that and then stopping it. And then look, and then if you do realize that, I do believe part of it is behavioral and then part of it's a heart issue, right? It's a, it's a real belief that's ingrained in you um, and that you feel superior to another. And that's just, that's a bigger issue. And you need to go, um, you need to speak, you need to seek medical or psychological. <laughs> right. <laughs> then that I can't help you with. That's not a behavior. That's right. different. Right, exactly. That's a whole other level. <laughs> then I can't help with that. <laughs> Helen, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it. I think we've learned a lot. Definitely got a lot of good concrete stuff, but I also appreciate you taking the time and being vulnerable and um, with everyone today. And just, you know, uh, appreciate you trusting us to provide that space as well. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's, uh, yeah, thank you, Helen. Thank you. And thank you to all our listeners. Um, we'll be posting this on our YouTube page as well as um, uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can see all of our episodes on chooseinclusion.com and we'll be continuing this uh, Black Voices Matter series uh, in, in, well into the future. So uh, continue to stick around with us. Thanks everyone and uh, take care. Bye everybody. <laughs>